language and discussions. If you're easily offended, do not continue. We would be honored if you would join us. How are you feeling? Your latest workups on your condition indicate that all damage has been reversed. Recovery is total. I believe you have been quite fortunate. No further thanks are necessary, Commander, but you are most welcome. It is my function and pleasure as a medical droid to help and heal human beings. Can you imagine what it's like to be an ace pilot? This is your chance to make that dream come true. All right, hello, everybody. Welcome to Star Wars from the Back to Tank. This is the Star Wars Resistance Edition. Yay. All right, so I'm here, Michael Flores, your host, and I'm in the cockpit. No, I'm not in the cockpit. David is actually my astromech today. Hello, Dave. Beep. That's all you're going to contribute. It's just random beeping, <laughs> beeping noises. noises. Well, I did it to myself by <laughs> demoting you to an astromech, I guess. <laughs> all right. So today we're going to be talking about episode four slash possibly episode five, depending on <laughs> where you uh, do your research. Why is it they always do this in Star Wars, dude? They did this in Rebels. Yeah, it's very frustrating. It's hard to get any clarification on the exact episode. Although if we want to be... If we want to be uh, exact, this is technically episode five. But if you go to IMDb, it's episode four. Yeah, it's it's all fucked. So this episode's titled The High Tower. That's the most important part, whether it's episode four or five. And the synopsis, the first order arrives at the platform for mysterious reasons. And Kaz and BB-8 are determined to sneak into the tower to find out what they want. All right, this episode was written by Stephanie Folsom and directed by Stuart Lee, with Justin Ridge once again being listed as a supervising director. Not quite sure what that means other than possibly saying, hey, Stuart, not this way. Let's come this way. Right. That's all I I really I've never seen that credit before in a cartoon or TV series. So it would be interesting to find out what that exactly is. Maybe they will do a Star Wars show on it. I don't know. All right, so this week the writers pulled the curtain back just a bit more, and we received a little bit of insight into what the First Order is up to, and maybe insight's the wrong word, perhaps clarification. I think Clarification. We, yeah, I think yeah. we kind of already had that idea that the First Order was, uh, I think we had already assumed after the episode titled Triple Dark that the First Order were using the pirates to destabilize the Colossus, the Colossus. For, their, yeah, for their own gain. And it's exactly what we had thought. They planned to use the attacks as a way to gain control of the platform. Uh, and I think it's safe to assume that this platform is of strategic importance or significance um, to the First Order and possibly even the Resistance. And maybe that's why, hey, who's going to grab control of this platform first? Yeah. And I think that it was really important to actually show that not just using the pirates, but also the fact that the First Order is willing to use other tactics to get control of the Colossus. Because if you noticed, they went a totally different route than the last time. The last time we saw in Triple Dark, they used the pirates to try to destabilize the Colossus. This time, they just tried to actually force a blackmail scheme. Well, right. And and 
I don't think Doza is 100% clear on the fact that the First Order is using the pirates. Uh, I think it's their plan. I'm sure he's a smart enough man to kind of piece it together. That's why he called it uh, extortion. So I feel like he's, it's not spelled out for him, but I think he gets it. That's that classic mafia tactic where, hey, you know what? You have to pay us for protection. From what? From me. And they start like trashing the old man's store in, in the Bronx. <laughs> it's kind of like that mentality. And I like it because that's what a lot of people do, not just in mafia, but just in warfare, this type of warfare. And you see it more commonly in tribal warfare in small villages where they create the problem and then they also create the solution. And then they find a way to infiltrate whatever area that is uh, important to their end game when it comes to their war. Yeah, and the thing I like about the First Order right now, the way that they're using them already twice, is they're using subtle tactics. Mm -hmm. They're not going out there and you're not seeing open attacks on the Colossus. You're seeing the First Order, like, they're trying to actually pose the fact that the First Order is in the shadows right now. Yeah, it's it's very similar to the beginnings of the Empire, Yeah, uh, where Palpatine was creating the need. In fact, that was what the first two movies was really about. He was creating the need, because his ultimate goal was to what? Was to abolish the Republic and the Senate. So I like that they're using similar tactics. It would make sense since this is a an offshoot of the Empire. It rose from the ashes of the Empire, as we have uh, been privy to in various other Star Wars books uh, from this new Disney yeah. era, Lucasfilm Disney era. So we know that that is something that would make sense to their that they would use in their repertoire of of weaponry. And it shows a well thought out story from that angle. It shows that they're willing to truly push that First Order story a lot farther than even, say, Force Awakens did or even The yeah. Last Jedi, which is a which is a huge plus for this series. Absolutely. Because if you if you've actually read some of the books, especially like the the one Princess Leia book that dealt with yeah. the aftermath and the fact that mm-hmm. Princess Leia found out about this growing First Order. Yeah. It makes sense that basically this is their tactics. This is now it's now gone to a cold war type of aspect. Yes. You, the, the, the first order is a viable threat. People just don't know about it. And then, you know, you have people like, like Kazuda who is naive to the, what's going behind the scenes. Yeah. And it's, it's this episode for me was really interesting getting to actually see that because it's kind of like now, now Kazuda is getting, the, getting it smacked in his face that, Hey, this is more dangerous than, you know, him being overconfident and doing his usual shtick the last couple episodes will do because like now his shtick almost got himself killed in this one. Right. Yeah, I would agree. I feel like this episode was really strong when it comes to laying down the groundwork of the world and kind of pushing that forward a bit. Um, And we also got that insight into Doza, the man in the tower. They had kind of set it up, set him up as a mystery, as uh, that unknown chess piece you know whose side is he on and i feel like it was definitely made clear that he was not necessarily directly involved with the first order um and we're not quite sure where his loyalties will eventually lie either it's still kind of thrown up in the mill or up in the air which i like once again because this platform is obviously strategically important so to see or to pose those questions as to who 
or how Doza will fall his loyalties, I feel like is a very interesting aspect of this story. The, this, the, for me, this was actually kind of like a little overreaching, but it's one of the notes that I actually put when I watched this. Doza looks like, for me, which is good. This is a good thing. Doza reminds me of a watered-down type of kingpin from Daredevil character. Very watered down, but basically, like, you don't know where his allegiance lie. His allegiance is to himself, and as of right now, and to basically his daughter, uh, because we know that he he does he does care about his daughter and everything. And well, do we? I mean, we. I think we get. I think it's. I think it's made. I think they definitely set it up that way. They but set it we, up that way. We really don't know anything about him other than what they want us to know right now. Yeah. I, mean, I, the, I think the most important part of that at whole thing is his relationship with the New Republic and the First Order would appear to be far more complicated exactly, than yeah. we had originally thought. And that makes it interesting. And that's something we've been talking about a lot in a lot of our discussions lately across the network. And it's posing questions. That's the key phrase there. A proper TV show poses the right questions and everything pertaining to Doza and his loyalties. It's a question. It's a big question mark. And it's kind of like the wild card because any direction he chooses to go is going to change the tide of this, but this cold war, as you put it. Yeah. So, and obviously he's unable to depend on the help of the new Republic, which also was a very interesting tidbit due to his dealings with certain unsavory fellows. Yes. So we know he's not bad, but he's also a lot like many of our Star Wars characters. They live in the gray area a bit. Not necessarily bad. I mean, if you want to judge them or grade them based on, you know, our own American Puritan-esque ideals, then yeah, you might say, oh, he's a bad guy because he's dealing with the underworld. But, you know, sometimes individuals like this deal with the people that will help them the most, keep their business alive and, and thriving and help them make their own profits and money. So it'll be very fun to see where that goes. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. But as I said, this creates uh, an interesting story angle and justifies inaction, which is good. I hate when TV shows don't justify inactions of individuals and you're left asking, why don't he just call the police or call <laughs> for help? So because he's not able to pick up a comm link of sorts or uh, send him a hollow vid or whatever, a hollow message to the New Republic, it creates that problem and that issue. Because if he was in good standing 100% with the New Republic, this all of this would be a no would be a no problem. Yeah. Be like, oh, so you're extor- extorting, extorting me? All right, let me call the New Republic and they'll squash this and they'll take care of it. Right away. But because of that nice little bit of his dealings with the underworld, it suddenly takes away his ability to just call the New Republic. And that's why I'm okay with inactions like this. If you were not to introduce that aspect, the gray area, his dealings with unsavory individuals, then suddenly it would not justify why he just allows himself to be blackmailed. Yeah. And and that's the one moment in the episode that I really liked where they introduced the fact that the criminal underworld is still around during this time and it's very powerful. And I don't know, like the story. It well, made why sense wouldn't it? Me. I mean, it, the the underworld would definitely be the underworld around would be around. But if you notice, like in a lot of Star Wars stories, they don't touch on it. But a lot of the great stories in the past that basically, like from the '90s, that have dealt with it with uh, Han Solo, Boba Fett, and their dealings with the underworld, 
those have been really fantastic because it gives us a glimpse into what the landscape is uh, for the society in Star Wars. Yeah. And I was really happy with the fact that they, they made that connection instead of trying to do a throwaway like, oh, Doza is connected to the First Order. Because throughout the episode, was, I'm like going, okay, are yeah. they going to just make Doza to the First Order? And when you got to that moment where they said no... Doza, the problem, just like what you said, the reason why Doza can't call on the New Republic is he has dealings with the criminal underworld, and he may it, it, he may have dealt with them, but he could de- get go get help, but he can't because it would ruin his relationship and put him further in danger with the criminal underworld, which is just as scary as the First Order. Yeah, so I especially like that part. I thought it was a good little tidbit and rather than creating potential drama and conflict that, you know, logically doesn't need to happen. This is a scenario that absolutely makes sense and works within uh, within the world of Star Wars. Uh, We are also introduced officially to another member of the Aces and yet another D bag. (laughs) Yeah. Hype. Hype. Hype played by Donald Faison, I believe is how you say his name. Faison. Uh, I'm not sure how I feel about this character as of yet. I'm trying to figure out why a Rodian sounds like an exaggerated <laughs> black guy cartoon stereotype. I'm glad now, you saw that. I'm not not using the word cartoon in the way of an animation. I'm using yeah. it in its true definition. It's a cartoon. Yeah. As it's, a, it's an exaggerated stereotype. There you go. And I don't know. I know Donald Faison is a black dude. But it feels weird because this is a guy that doesn't sound like that. He's been in various serious projects. He's the uh, dude from uh, Scrubs. That's his claim to fame. Yes. I feel like I'm questioning what Disney's doing because he essentially sounds like a stereotypical slave black guy. Yeah. You know what this reminds me Where the, the Poe dunk. Like, oh, look at me here. Oh, I'm an ace how are you all doing, doing today? It. How about we all drink some blue milk? We celebrate in the Aces Lounge. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, it reminded me honestly, of a racist stereotype. Of a racist stereotype, but the execution, the execution of this character and the voice acting was borderline so bad it was like the Transformer, Transformer yes. characters that were like so stereotypical it offended everybody. Yeah, the black guy Transformer where yeah, he's all, guy. yo, yo, let's kick it here. here. I'm like, you're a Transformer. <laughs> you're an alien from another planet, planet. And you're speaking like a black stereotype. Yeah, and then you get, you know, uh, so hype. I, I, so <laughs> I just, I don't know how I feel about it yet. And, and uh, I mean, last week we had a pedophile. And this week we have literally a slave black man. If people like if, let's say there's some young listeners out there, I think older listeners will know exactly what I'm talking about. But if there's young listeners out there, Dave, who are like, oh, my God, Mike's offensive. He's saying he sounds like a slave. That's not something I made up. Yeah. If you look up slave cartoons on YouTube and when I say cartoons, they're political anti-African-American cartoons. cartoons that's how black people are sound. Yeah, like the back old in the 1950s, old days. 1950s with the Not, blackface cartoon characters. Yes. Even forget the blackface cartoons. Go back to the early 1820s, 1830s, where they performed blackface. Yeah. Guess what? 
That's what they sound like. The blackface, white racist individuals, actors that played blackface at performances and, and made fun of black people. That's the voice they made. And yes, it's funny in a comical way. If you're if you're on doing stand up, you're doing a comedic TV show that's satirical and in fashion, th- then that makes sense to do stuff like that. But in a, a cartoon, a Star Wars cartoon or even Star Wars as a whole, why would you choose to make your character sound like a a, a blackface character? And that's the thing I notice is like Star Wars is. Am I, am I looking, Dave, hold on. Am, am I looking into this too much? No, no, because it is something that is a bad thing in, I don't want to say Star Wars, but in sci-fi because people always, because they don't know what aliens should sound like, they try to make them over-exaggerated or stereotypical things. Yeah. It's and it's kind of like, why? It's just like what you said. He's a freaking alien. It's weird. And I know like I had that problem with the Trade Federation too in Phantom Menace. Oh, yeah. I'm yeah. Like, like, okay, why do you guys sound like you're Japanese? Yeah. Over over exaggerated Asian Japanese characters. Yeah, I, I didn't understand that, but the city won't well, like the it. Won't like oh, no, city. Oh, no. oh no, city is oh, mm, mm, oh, like it was so over the top it's so over the top that was one of the moments in phantom menace that to this day just pulls me out i don't understand that these are aliens why are they speaking like people from our own from our why are they talking like stereotypes from our world the real world world. yeah so this rodian is kind of the same it's more the same it's like why are you choosing to talk like you're when in doubt Go back to New Hope and listen to how Greedo speaks. But that whole accent and the way he speaks and that alien language, even the uh, the the separatists, the um, Geonosians, the way they speak. See, that now is how you truly figure out how to make your aliens sound unique. The way they sound, they, they speak and just sounds. Yeah. And clicks. I mean, that's fucking fantastic. That that's cool. But. You have a Rodian sound like a slave black man, a black stereotype. Man. Yeah. I don't get it. I don't understand. And maybe that was Steven's call himself, the actor, or what's his name? Uh, Donald. Fizer. Donald. Maybe that's Donald's call. Maybe he chose to do that. I just feel like it's very odd and it, it just doesn't feel like it doesn't feel like Star Wars at all. It, it just doesn't. takes you out of the show. But that being said, he's yet another colorful character. I think we can agree on that. Yeah. That that has been added to the show. And I'm hoping that a lot of these characters end up finding purpose within the overall story and that they're not just placeholders to fill time. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because, like, the thing that Resistance has been able to do really well, when I look back at the last couple episodes, is actually introducing some pretty interesting new characters. You have Jaeger, you have Doza. It, to some degree, even uh, even the new character, I can't forget, I, I forgot her name. The uh, Tam. Tam. Even Tam. Tam's really interesting. Hype to some degree, but if you re- remove the, the voice and everything, is interesting. I, I, I don't know. Is he? I mean, we, I know we just met him, but what motivates him being a douche? Like that's what makes an interesting character motivation. 
We're going to get into that in a moment. But first, patreon.com slash Digital, The place to go, David, if people want more Star Wars from the Back to Tank. That's right. Every single month, get more Back to Tank delivered deeply and snugly into your ear holes. Hear me and David break down comic books related to Star Wars as well as books and additional discussions that we can't always get to on our regular show. So head over to patreon.com slash Rainman Digital and pledge $5 or a month. $5 or a month? $5 or more a month and gain access to a plethora of additional Star Wars content every single month. Because there's just so much out there, dude. Yeah. All right. So we spent more time with Tam this episode and she's interesting. I'm glad they created some motivation for her as well, because up to this point, and yes, we've only been, we're only in about what, episode four or five, but I'm glad that they took some time this week and gave some of our supporting cast a little bit motiva- a little bit more motivation yes. so that we can understand where their head is at as a character, and this was an example of not needing a lot of time to create a moment that allows the audience to connect and relate to a character almost immediately. I mean, it's very basic. Her desire to fly and her connection to the Rodian hype was an interesting development. There's something to be said about the subtleties of a character, Dave. Yeager, Pam, these are characters that are really fun so far because we understand them. There is a nuanced statement about both of them. I'm not saying we know everything about them. We, I, there's, we, we know close to nothing about Yeager. But the way they introduce these characters, there's questions and there's a statement. And we can relate to what has been stated about each of them. Yeah, that's, that's the big thing with the characters that they've done really well is they made the audience question I want to know more about them. Well, the characters that are supporting for the most part have been introduced in such a way that helps the story of resistance as a whole. And and this is fantastic, but this is where my problem really my problem with this series really comes into play. We're Here four we or five episodes in and there is not any there is no real motivation behind Kaz whatsoever. Yes. He was thrown. He was thrown into being a spy under protest. He didn't really want to be a resistance spy. He was enamored by it all and excited, but why does he want to fight the first order? There's no real motivation. There's no there's no hero's journey. The classic trope works within Star Wars. The classic hero's journey works within Star Wars and with hundreds, if not thousands, of other classics. And stories or even modern narratives within pop culture. It works. Let's break this down briefly so that people understand exactly what I mean. Luke Skywalker pushed into action when he learns of his uncle and aunt's death. Motivated by revenge and anger, he joins the rebellion and the rest is history. Yes. Jen Urso runs from her responsibilities because of fear and anger. Chooses to keep her head down and worry about herself, afraid to deal with the loss of her father and mother for fear that it would make her vulnerable and possibly weak. Ray, motivated by her mysterious past, suffers from abandonment and insecurity issues, and she lacks the ability to trust, but not others. She doesn't trust herself because she doesn't know who she is and why she was abandoned. She's got a gamut of identity problems. 
It works. It works. Ezra, motivated by his passion and love for his home world of Lothal, which stems from his sacrifice, which stems from the sacrifice of his parents and how they laid down their lives for the rebellion and Lothal. The list goes on and on. All of our heroes, all of them, have all had well-stated motivations from the beginning that drive them throughout the entire course of their story. Yeah. Sometimes the motivation changes and shifts after one chapter closes and, and another one opens, but, but this is the basics. This is how you get an audience fully invested in your character. All these things happen within the first act of our, if it's a movie, happens within the first act. With Ezra, it was introduced almost immediately. Yeah. So I, this is my problem with it. We still don't know anything really about Kasuda. The most interesting bit was during the pilot uh, episode when Kaz told his father about the resistance. We got the idea that there was a relationship issues, that their relationship wasn't necessarily a great one, possibly an overbearing father. Maybe Kaz never was able to do enough to please him. I'm making that up based on that one tiny conversation. Conversation, yeah. Outside of that, we don't know anything. I mean, what we do know are ingredients, but nothing has been fleshed out. Fleshed out. To to build upon. He's just not interesting. He's he's the lead and he needs to be important and he needs to be interesting because he's a lead. He just walks around like a buffoon and essentially when you break him down, every he's written not like a lead, David. Yes. He's written like a sidekick. Like he should be Niku. Right. In fact, if if they would have replaced Niku with Kaz and made Yeager the lead, that would have made more sense. And I wouldn't have the types of problems I'm having right now because Kasuda, there's nothing subtle about him. There's no mystery about there's him. No mystery. There's no motivation about him. What we see is what we get. And it's just not interesting. He's a basic, he's basically Jar Jar Binks. Yeah. It's, I feel like I'm watching a TV show starring Jar Jar Binks. And, and the frustrating part, too, is kind of like, you know, in the very end, when Doza looks at his picture and says, who are you? We're kind of actually wondering, who the heck is Kazuda at the end of the day? Because just like what you said is like his motivations have never been fleshed out. And we're left with a character that... One moment, we think he wants to be a pilot. Okay, he joins the pilot crew. He's going to be a mechanic and become a pilot. Okay, maybe that's it. No, I want to be a spy. What do you want to be, Kazuda? I mean, and his motivation, <laughs> you know, was introduced. I, I feel like they tried to introduce it in the very opening episode, and it was, hey, I want to be an ace pilot. Okay, well, being in the resistance is not going to make you an ace He's pilot. pilot. Yeah. So why are you joining the resistance? Go be a, a a racer. Yeah. Go do what these people are doing. I don't understand his motivation. None of it makes sense. It's very erratic. I don't feel like his story is figured out yet, which is very frustrating because everything else around him is interesting. The, the world they're introducing us to now that we're four or five episodes in is a lot more interesting than it was back in episode one. Yeah. Learning a little bit about the First Order, understanding the interworkings of this platform and the Colossus. Interesting. Doza's daughter. Interesting. Interesting. Look how easy it is to create interest 
they simply show a scene where the Doza and his daughter are together. And suddenly we understand the dynamics between the two of them. It's not that hard with Kazuda. We still have not received any of that. And that's why I feel like the writers need to start focusing on fleshing out a character that is the flattest lead we have ever had in Star Wars. And, and this is this is the problem with when you write a character who uh, some people have referred to this type of character as the leaf on the wind. Like he's just the leaf on the wind going with where the wind takes him. This is the problem with it. If you can't give a character motivation, he doesn't seem interesting. And you have to rely on the ensemble cast around him to make the story interesting. Yeah, I'm hoping Filoni sees this. Filoni is a veteran writer, very, very good at story. There's no way in hell he's not watching these episodes before they go out and he realizes there's some writing errors. And if he's not sending out notes to Justin Ridge and the other producers on Resistance saying that they need to work on Kazuda as a character, then he's not doing his job as a producer. Yeah. Because any producer worth his worth his salt is going to be able to give notes on on a blinding blemish on a show that otherwise could be really, really good. And this isn't the same issues that we've had with Ezra and Ahsoka. I know we have kind of used those two characters as examples to kind of justify Kazuda saying that, hey, you know what? Ahsoka was one of the most hated characters. Ezra was hated as well. And then suddenly we realize, wow, these characters are really good. And they, and they slowly became many of the Star Wars fandom's favorites. Yeah. But the difference is, okay, so they're annoying, right? Fine. But their motivation is introduced immediately. Immediately. So the, so the groundwork is laid for these characters and you get and understand them and they're relatable. They may be obnoxious, obnoxious at the beginning. It may not truly care about them, but the motivations there, the seeds have been planted and watered and allowed to grow. And yeah, because so like, we're still waiting for seeds to be planted for Kazuda. The, the, the thing was this episode, there was a lot of Kazuda, what I call Kazuda isms where, you know, the, the, the screaming and the falling happens and the eye rolling and everything but now now it's now it doesn't bother me because i'm like going okay yes we're trying to show that some quote unquote humor but you still don't have motivation behind this character what is driving him at this point yeah it's it's bizarre and the way they're having him investigate the first order is is very strange oh, to me it is very weird uh, you're turning him into jar jar binks and uh, jar jar i'm not a jar jar binks hater I, i'm probably one of the few i actually like him in the position he played i feel like lucas laid it on a little too thick during certain moments in phantom menace but his character as a whole i feel like works he's he's very much that c-3po archetype from the original trilogy He's there to, for comedic value. He's a sidekick character of sorts. And um, Kaz is written a lot like that as well. So I don't have a problem with Jar Jar Binks, but Jar Jar Binks is a sidekick character. Yes, he's a sidekick. And Kazuda is written almost identically. He's he's fumbling his way through success. He's accidentally solving things through his own buffoonery. It's very slapstick and Three Stooges-ish, and I 
And I'm really hoping they change that because it would be a shame because this show has the potential to be great. And I didn't see that in the in the pilot. But as we have moved forward, I concede the potential greatness in this show. Yes. There's no reason why this shouldn't become the next big Star Wars thing and be like the Clone Wars or Rebels. But they got to push that envelope. They got to open doors and they have to save Kazuda before it's too late. Before before, it's too late. before the end of the season and you're like, well... Kasuda just sucks a big dick. I, I don't I don't like him. And it's hard to f- repair a character after that. But yeah. if they go on holiday break, which they will be pretty soon, and they come back, I'm I'm 100% sure the episodes are not finalized yet. They go back, do some rewrites, and they notice that there's an issue with their lead. They can save this show. The one, the one thing that has now, I feel, is like a trope now for the last couple of episodes that besides Kazuda's antics is the fact that have you noticed that the situation always falls on Kazuda's lap? Like today, like in this episode, it's when he's at Aunt Z's cafe. Aunt Z's the one who mentions, hey, do you know Doza might be actually in line with the yeah, First Order? I, yeah. And it drops right in his face. <laughs> it's like, yeah, they don't how even, does he do this? <laughs> they don't even make him capable. Like, yeah. why couldn't he have figured that out? There's why no why don't you quit showing him? Listen, I'm not a spy, Dave. You're not a spy. You're not going to just openly start asking questions. You're not going to start fumbling your way through things. I think most of us know the basic attempts of espionage and how to do things secretly. Yes. And it's like Kazuda has Asperger's. I'm like, my, my, my stepfather has Asperger's. What do they call it now? The spectrum. Spectrum. My, my stepdad is on the spectrum. And these are the types of antics of a person on the spectrum. Yeah. Like, oh, what do I do? What do I do? Well, you know what to do. Yeah, but I'm going to make it a big ordeal. It's, it's, it's bizarre. It's bizarre. It's very strange. Now, Dave, let's um, we've been harping on this for quite some time. Let's move into overall thoughts. Overall thoughts, even though for me, final thoughts, I should say. Or final thoughts. Yeah. Final thoughts on this episode. For me, even though that has been a major criticism on Kazuda, I felt that this episode was actually pretty good. Oh, it's pretty good. I liked liked, (laughs) I liked the the I like the whole Doza thing. I like the Doza element. I like the fact that the First Order actually showed up on the Colossus. What about me? Did you like me too? I'm <laughs> I'm, I'm my name is Hype. I'm a I'm a pilot. Pilots been waiting my whole life to be a pilot. Me and my mother and father, we won't give it a fair shake in life. And once I became a pilot, oh we I changed our life wide around. Woo, doggy. <laughs> I am an ace pilot. Ooh, the lolly. Golly, what a day. And besides, besides Hype, the the voice acting of Hype and the lack of motivation for Kazuda, I actually thought the whole espionage thing was treated pretty well. I like the fact that, hey, Kazuda actually used his freaking brain for a change. Well, hey, Kazuda. Use the comm link, put it in the freaking droid so that you can actually listen in on the conversation. My God, Kazuda, you're using your brain. <laughs> and I, I, I was actually impressed. Because it was You were impressed that he put a giant com link bigger than most people's dicks on a food tray. But come on, Dave. That's better, clunky too. No, but but he better, he, I mean he might as well just have gone and walked in. 
but but dude, at least he actually used something to make it look like espionage. I'm 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 giving Kazuda credit because it's kind of like okay, this is his first step in espionage. Yeah, let, let this is how he's going to learn. That's why I was like going. We know that basically it's going to blow up in his face at the end when the whole comlink just like gives him feedback and gives away his position. I just like that. That's fine. I just like that <laughs> Poe dropped him on the platform without any spy tools. Like, <laughs> I like where's the listening, the wireless listening devices? Where's the 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 technology for hearing in a room uh, without being the size of a penis? And like and like behind the scene, behind the scenes and everything, Poe should actually give his report to Leia. Leia should look at it go, "You're an idiot." Like, yeah. <laughs> My god, Poe. <laughs> My god, Poe. <laughs> Why? Why did you do this? You were such a bright pilot with a with a fantastic future, and now look at you. <laughs> look at you. Who is this Kazuda clown? <laughs> He's in destroy all of our plans, Poe. And and that's that's the biggest glaring thing for me is like just yeah. outside of the series, it's kind of like why did Poe pick him? <laughs> yeah. All right, so. I mean, my final thoughts, they just need to cut the background noise a bit. And even though that has been the highlight for us, the, the background noise, because the background noise, the supporting characters yeah, and, the, and the world the building that they're building around him is really interesting. Yes. All of that works, but they're losing sight of our lead. Now, these types of things don't usually happen until a show has been on the air for a long time. And then suddenly you have to bring in new faces to help maintain the interest and, and add more story potentials that allows you to open more doorways. We're at the very beginning and the focus needs to be 100% on Kazuda. And just because he is front and center doesn't mean the writers are focusing on Kazuda just because he's in the center of all the antics doesn't mean he's the story. He's supposed to be the story. If we're going to maintain interest in this individual's journey and his story, then they have to make it more interesting. And this show would benefit greatly from cutting unnecessary characters for the time being. Tam, Yeager, O, BB-8, Nico, fine. But why introduce hype? Why introduce any more of these characters at the time being? Even Doza. Doza works. But let's not distract with any more background noise until Kazuda has been flushed out. Yes. He has to be the focus. We have to learn about him. That's the only way this show is going to work. So that concludes this week's discussion on Star Wars Resistance. I'm hoping, Dave, we didn't come off toxic and more balanced i don't mind being considered critical critical is yeah. good i think I, I think we were critical because as i said this episode was not bad in my opinion no it wasn't a horrible episode it, it's just wearing thin on me uh, the lack of motivation on kazuda is That's wearing thin thing. on me yeah so all right so that concludes this discussion thank you david thank you may the force be with us hello this is stormtrooper one and if you've missed any portion of the show you can always head over to FromTheBackToTank.com and uh, listen to the show at your leisure. Uh, we're also on Stitcher, Smart Radio, Stitcher.com, search BACTA, and add us to your favorites. Thank you. And uh, listen responsibly.
from the Back to Take. And from the Back to Take is executive produced by Michael Flores and Dustin Lucas. Hosted by Michael Flores, David Zabal. You can find out more about our show by going to www.fromthebacktotake.com. You can also find us on Twitter at FromBackToTake, as well as Facebook, facebook.com slash FromTheBackToTake.